So, I just want to say that I am so grateful for my healing journey because I made a decision that I was not going to live my life in fear, but I'm going to live my life in courage. I'll give you two examples. One, I decided that I should not live in fear of being within the continent of Africa because I said to myself, I am a person of both inner beauty and outer beauty. So there's no reason for me to feel afraid to be in what is called the motherland, even though they have legal imprisonment, legal violence, and legal executions of LGBTQIA plus people like myself. I said, I have the right to be where the majority of my ancestors originated from. So they would not want me to be in the motherland feeling any kind of woeful trepidation. They would understand my sensible concerns. They would always desire for me to be safe. And these are all the things I desire for myself. Next, I decided to be unafraid to be in the Middle East, the continent of that, because like Africa, they too have legal imprisonment, legal violence, and legal executions of LGBTQI plus people like myself. But I figured out again, I'm a person of inner beauty and outer beauty. So I should not have any fear of being anywhere. Should I have concerns and should I have caution and carefulness along with my boldness, bravery, and courage? Absolutely. And I'm not body shaming anybody. I'm just expressing the healthy self-esteem of me when I say inner beauty, outer beauty. And so, even though those two continents also have legal imprisonment, legal violence, legal executions of people that are not either Islamic or Christian, um, I decided it's not my responsibility to be fearful. It's the responsibility of those hard-hearted lacking empathy persons to feel such a way. 
It's not my job to feel what they're supposed to feel. It's their job to feel what they're supposed to feel. In other words, I'm not going to live my life in fear. That's their job. That's not a threat. That's not a vow. That's not an oath. That's not antagonism. It's They should be afraid to do all the cold-bloodedness that they're doing. They should be afraid to do all of the cold-heartedness that they're doing. Because it's irrational beyond compare and illogical beyond measure. So I'm doing this whole episode off the top of my head. And what I figured out for myself is I am well protected everywhere. I don't tempt T-E-M-P-T fate. I don't tempt destiny. I'm not taking any unnecessary risk. I'm not uncouth. Um, I'm not unsanitary. I am not a charlatan. I'm none of the bad things about life whatsoever. That is why I know that everywhere I go, I'll be well secured. It could be any country or continent or island that has abysmal human rights records. I decided I am well secure within myself and I'm well secure externally because of how I carry myself. And I have the ability to win over the hearts, even if people who have been taught to be hateful. I don't try to win them over. I'm true to myself, and a lot of them win themselves over to me. And then I made a decision to not allow my porn career which will be in patches here and there in terms of adult film appearances, whether I star or make cameos or I'm in the supporting role. I decided not to allow my adult film career to make me feel afraid to go to any country, continent, or island that sees human rights as a foreign concept to them and doesn't under and is and and finds the human rights concept to be incomprehensible because I said what I do on and off camera is a reflection of my internal and outward Excellence. In other words, I display my inner beauty and outer beauty on camera and off camera. I'm all things inner beauty, all things outer beauty, on camera and off camera. And I made a decision too that I was going to work with any. Um, criminal justice warriors that 
Know when to do restorative justice. Rehabilitative justice. And they know how to give out the proper retributions and being punitive properly. They know how to make sure that the punishments are just right. Again, not not the extreme of being lenient and not the extreme of being too strict, right? But the goal is to eventually soften the hearts of the inmates and to calm the souls of the inmates and to soothe the mind of the inmates Um, and to make sure that the justice is well-balanced, well-rounded, well-adjusted, and well-unified in terms of a mixture of retribution and restoration. You need both. You need a corrector and you need to be, you need correctors and reformers. You need correction and reformation to go hand in hand. In order to change, you have to learn from the consequences of your past misdeeds. And so another thing I want to talk about is where do I stand on religion? Okay, we know all your doubts, Antonio, all the skepticism, Antonio. And yes, we understand that for you, speaking for yourself only, that your doubt skepticism was because of the childhood traumas. And to to some extent, your free-spirited nature where you tend to be non-traditional and conventional by birth. So there's a yin and yang on that. So where do I where do you stand on religion, Antonio? This is what I say. I don't mind deities or Christ figures. If that is... Let me restate that. I don't mind deities or Christ figures as long as they are able to present truths um, that can be useful to our everyday life. So I don't mind Christ figures or deities. Hopefully we can find um proof or evidence for the truths about them. Um, And if we're unable to, I don't allow that to to ruin my life. Um, When I think about the concept of a Christ figure, I think of preservation. 
because those are symbols of how we should treat each other and ourselves. Keep the goodness about ourselves intact. Keep the greater good about ourselves intact. A lot of times there's outward symbols for how we should live innerly. That's like deities, like we are the captains of our own ship. We, we have to decide how we're going to sail, how we're going to land, and the capacity of the load that we're going to carry, what type of load we're going to carry. So I look at deities and Christ figures as symbolic for how we all should live our lives. And I use this, I'm using these, these, um, portrait verbiage from a universal standpoint, not making it one religion. Um, I think that when it comes to the Bible, I don't mind God as long as that God is real. I don't mind Jesus or the Holy Spirit as long as they are real and I don't mind any of the deities and Christ figures and religious figures and all the other religions as long as they're real I'm into all things real I'm into all things truth I'm into all things facts I'm into all things evidence and I'm into all things knowledge so as long as they're real then I will accept that they're real however the depictions of them has causing me angst in my heart because a lot of what's in those religious texts would does break the heart of the United Nations. I'm pretty sure they've read the Bible. Some parts of the Bible and the Quran or the Torah are cringeworthy, to be honest. They really are. Um, I don't think the Bible writers perfectly describe God. I think that God has nothing to do with any of the human rights violations of the world, I think that the Bible writers honestly put their human rights violations type of attitudes in their own hearts, put it down on scripture, and made all their human rights violations holy. So I don't think God is any of the human rights violating depictions that the Bible Bible writers says God is. If there's a, you know, what's the best way to put it? Let's say there's a loving God. I don't think God has a problem with women. I don't think God has a problem with LGBTQI plus people. I don't think God has a problem with sex workers. 
I don't think God has a problem with non-Christians, people of all the other religions. I don't think God has a problem with secular persons. I don't think God has a problem with those who get tattoos. I don't think God has a problem with those who live the nightlife. I don't think God has a problem with people who fornicate. I don't think God has a problem with people who masturbate. I don't think God has a problem with people who use profanity. I don't think God has a problem with erotica. I don't think God has a problem with wet dreams. I don't think God has a problem with sex dreams. I don't think God has a problem with nocturnal emissions. I don't think God has a problem with sex daydreams and sex night dreams. And I don't think God has a problem with kinky sex. I don't think God has a problem with unconventional sex. I don't think God has a problem with adult comedy clubs. I don't think that God has a problem with even some circumstances in terms of reasoning that led to abortions. I think God understands that Let's say there's a loving God, and I'm just using my my logical imagination. I don't think God is punitive when it comes to all abortions. I think that God understands that there are rational reasons why some people have to get abortions. I don't think God looks at that as murder because God under because let's say there's a loving God. A loving God does not pretend that gray areas don't exist. A loving God does not pretend that complexities don't exist. A loving God understands that du- a loving God understands that duplexities exist. A loving God understands that the murky, muddied water parts of life exist. A loving God understands that because of evil and suffering, the discrepancies between science and religion, the inconsistencies between um, academic scholarship and, and religion, God understands why, that loving God will understand why certain people are unable or incapable of believing in that same God. And that God would not take it personally because the God understands I that loving God understand, look, there are shades of gray in life. It's not black or white. It's not extreme. It's not all or nothing. You know, the splitting psychology term. That's not God. I don't think God is the narcissist that the Bible writer says God is. I don't think God is the psychopath the sociopath and the psychopath 
that the Bible writer says is, I think those are all human bigotries, human prejudices, and human discrimination in the hearts of the Bible writers that humans have adopted because the Bible writers made their narrow-mindedness, closed-mindedness, small-mindedness holy. That's why even some modern humans do that today. So I think that the Bible writers got God wrong, Jesus wrong, and Holy Spirit wrong because how can human rights atrocities be easily defended by by the Bible writers? I don't think God had anything to do with those parts of the Bible. Mm -mm. I don't think so. Um, God doesn't have a problem with alcohol. God doesn't have a problem with people dancing. God doesn't have a problem with fingernail polish and beauty salons and lipstick and, you know, getting your hair done. And God doesn't have a problem with curvy women who, okay, they're cleavage. And, okay, yes, they're just naturally voluptuous persons. Okay, God's not going to slander that woman and claim that she is the reason she is the architect of the lack of self-control and lack of self-discipline in men that's not god at all god doesn't hate snakes even though a lot of a lot of people say that believers hate snakes because of the garden of eden story god doesn't have a problem with actual snakes just because that metaphor is in the Bible, that doesn't mean that God goes around looking at the slithering, hissing snakes and go, I hate all of you, even though I created all of you. That's not God. God doesn't have a problem with doubts, with skepticism, because God understands, I understand that evidence is important to you. I understand that logic is important to you. I understand that there are things about life that make no sense. I understand that there are parts of life that are just so heartbreaking. Like, God doesn't have a problem with people complaining to that same God about why diseases, why the pandemics, why the epidemics, why the virus outbreaks, why monkeypox, why COVID, why all these hospitalizations, why all these infections, why all these deaths, why all these burials, and why was it hard to bury people, and why was it hard to have enough people in the hospital? God's not offended by any of that. God understands that when people make these complaints, it has everything to do with empathy and compassion. Because of that, God's not offended by how we really feel, how we really think, how we really operate. God's like, look, the majority of you are decent. So I'm not offended by even your secular living because I know that y'all are good people. I'm just using my logical imagination. Let's say there is a loving God, right? That's how loving God is supposed to be. God doesn't have a problem 
with liberal religion, progressive religion. God doesn't have a problem with Democrats and blue waivers. God doesn't have a problem with people who are unchurched, non-churched, and de-churched. God doesn't have a problem with science. God, if you tell God, hey, contradictions, errors in the Bible, God's not going to go ape shit on you. God's going to pull out the book and go, okay, wow. Um, some of what y'all saying about me, uh, it's, it's just, it's just wrong. Um, no, I'm, I'm not evil. No, I'm not, um, wicked. And why couldn't y'all make science and religious scholarship and religion actually add up? Yeah, that was y'all job to do that. Y'all, y'all, wrote this so you should have made make make it make sense to the modern folks thousands of years later i'm just saying this is a i'm using my logical imagination let's say there's a loving god since believers say god is loving this is how loving god would be a loving god when it comes to suffering would come to the aid of people especially innocent people god that love god would really come to the aid and would intervene, would intervene in ways that if my way of intervening helps you to feel better about me, I will do it. It's not about egotistical because the Bible writers depicted God as this egotistical, maniacal, beastly, dastardly creature. I'm like, that's no, no. God would, God, let's let's say there's a loving God. A loving God would appear to people in ways they understand. Look, if you need to see me in human form, I'll make it happen. If you need to hear a kind voice, if that will help you to understand that I'm for you, I will do it. God's not going to go, okay, I will never show my, I'll just never, ever appear to you in a way that you you need me you need that to understand me but i'm just not going to appear to you that way Mm-mm. god would never act like that the, let, let's just say there's a loving god now i'm not being religious i'm not proselytizing i'm not evangelizing i'm not convincing i'm not persuading i'm just saying let's think about the loving god concept from a standpoint of logic and reason a loving god would not be mad at people because, oh, all these religions out here, you can't make up your mind about who I am, but I'm going to pick Christianity. No, that's not, no. God wouldn't do that. God's like, I have nothing to do with all the formations of all these man-made, not Jesus-made religions. That's, God wouldn't do that. According to the logic and reason attached to the loving God concept. So let's think about the concept of a loving God. A loving God is actually a true friend of the human rights movement. A loving God is not the enemy of the human rights movement, even though the Bible writers basically state that's the case. And the a loving God would never condone anything in the Bible 
that makes rape survivors feel like shit, that makes abuse survivors, trauma survivors feel like shit, that makes violent survivors feel like shit. That's what the Bible writers did. God had nothing to do with that. And let's let's take it a step further. Believers have Jesus as the center of their lives. Jesus, let's say there's a real Jesus. Let's just go there for the sake of logical compassion and rational empathy, right? Let's go there. Jesus would have... The actual Jesus would have overwhelming evidence for his existence. If that Jesus would understand, since Jesus still had his divine powers, according to the Bible, I'm not being preachy or church, I'm just saying. So according to the Bible, he had all these divine powers, right? This biblical theology. So Jesus would understand, look, archaeology is going to be a big deal in the modern time including biology, especially geography, I will leave behind irrefutable, indisputable evidence about me if that means these forms of science are the way to get people to at least accept my existence, that I'm actually historical, then that's what I'll do. I think, like, the concept of, you know... I think also the concept of deities and Christ figures, I really want to go there. I don't think it has anything to do with traditionalism, biblical literalism, or um, conservative theology whatsoever. I think that those concepts have more wisdom behind it than the Bible writers have cared to admit. To me, being Christ-like, and I'm using this word secularly because I decided to make holy language emptied of their conservative theological meanings, and I said I took the conservative theology out and I put the secular universality in. So what does Christ-like mean? Because that's a word that's used so frequently. What does it mean for a secular person? I can tell you. It means to have the unrelenting neighborliness regarding yourself, regarding others, regarding those who are unlike you, regarding of cultures that he have yet to be introduced to as well as the obsession healthy obsession with daily growth and daily evolution of self and the daily evolution and growth of others and the evolution and growth is all internal It's all about not making logic your enemy. Or it's about redefining faith. We all have it to some degree. 
I believe that the movie about my life will be out way before I'm 40 years old because of the path that I'm on, because of the advocacy and the life and the book I put out about myself, and because many people are receiving it well, and some of those people eventually will be a a producer who wants to go, hey, we need to talk about how we can make movies about your life, because then I'll say, hey, I want to do it Harry Potter style. Sequels about my life. One movie's not going to do me justice. And then the producer's like, hey, we will do whatever it takes to do business with you. That's the type of faith that I have. Notice the faith that I'm having, it makes sense. Because of the other things that have been proven to be true about me. People go, okay, yeah, 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 you are extraordinary. I mean... You tend to live a life most people don't live, so a movie about you, yeah, 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 we can foresee that. We want that to happen, right? So we all are faith-based to some degree. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying everybody's religious. You always have atheists, agnostics. I'm talking about we all have, we all have beliefs when it comes to something that may not be completely scientifically factual, or scholarly um, proven, but because of the experiences of our lives, we have some conviction that certain things will happen that can't always be fully evidential in terms of the technical trained professional way. So that's what I'm talking about. I'm not saying, I'm not denying the non-religion, irreligion of some people. I'm just saying, that we all have faith when it comes to certain things about our life that makes sense if you explain it, even though you can't fully concrete, okay, this is happening, that's happening, that's happening, that's happening, in terms of all the scholars and scientists can back me up on it. I mean, we all are believers of something. But being a not all believers are theist believers. Some are, and some are not. Um, I think about the fact that when I think about religion, I think about the human attempt to clarify miscomprehension and incomprehension that life both provides and it and it's not perfectly clarified that I can tell you but when I think about um, even religion I absolutely feel that um when it comes to religion, how does the child me and adult me deal with religion? So the child me longs for the Holy Trinity, while the adult me is like, okay, what is the best way to interpret that? Literal, figurative, or both? Um, the adult, the child me longs for all of the Christian beliefs to be true and factual. 
While the adult me is more of, is this literal, figurative, or both? Um, the child me, um, longs for Christian discipleship and Christian fellowship, while the adult me is more like, is this literal, figurative, or both? Um, the child me is a theist, and a child me is a believer. The adult me is more of literal, figurative, or both. Um... The adult, the child me loves God, while the adult me is more of literal, figurative, or both. Um, the child me loves the Bible, while the adult me is more of, is that literal or figurative or both? Um... The child me easily embraces all of the Christian concepts that have ever been told. While the adult me is more like, is that literal, figurative, or both? To simplify this, so you can fully get it, fully understand. The child me longs for all the Christian statutes, all the Christian precepts, all the Christian laws, all the Christian rules, all the Christian regulations, all the Christian boundaries, all the Christian limitations of how we should live our lives, and all the Christian um, commandments to all be true. And the adult me is more like, is that literal, figurative, or both? So it is an extraordinary dichotomy of beauty that I experience in my heart. What does that mean? I call it beautiful because it comes from a soft-hearted place. And it's a dichotomy I've dealt with ever since I was five years of age. And, and you know what happened to me at five. So my relationship with religion is complicated and complex. And... My dynamics with the all the Christian concepts and all the and all the concepts of all religions are also complex and complicated too. Um, it's it's foggy, blurry, and cloudy in terms of myself. And my dynamics with religion, faith, and spirituality. I can express all the religious skepticism, but still have a part of me that feels a need and a desire to live a holy life. Nothing about me can be wrapped up and put in a box. It's the child me, the adult me, um, 
holding hands while walking through all the life's dichotomies together. Um, it's, it's something I've made peace with. Um, for example, the child me sees Jesus as Messiah, Lord, Son of God, King, Lord of Lord, King of Kings. While the child me is more like, is that literal or figurative or both? When I say literal, figurative, or both, I'm talking about are these literal truths, figurative truths, or both literal and figurative truths? Or is this literal wisdom, figurative wisdom, or literal and figurative wisdom? That's what I mean. That's what, what I'm referring to. So, I really have had to make myself understand peacefully and, and gently that God doesn't have a problem with secular media outlets um, God doesn't have a problem with partying God doesn't have a problem with sporting events. Um, God is not upset with those who feel like they cannot have a relationship with God because of the mayhem that occurred against them. God doesn't have a problem with people who think they're naturally secular. Um, Because of the flip-flopping of life that life brings in terms of Statements and realities being unequal, being being unable and incapable of being equally yoked together. They're just they should be unyoked, you know. Um, unequally yoked, right? Right. And what I also had to understand regarding these concepts is that God doesn't have a problem with people who commit suicide because a loving God would understand that mental circumstances of one's psyche are are so 
Um, so discombobulated that it's the mental distress that's taking over the person it's not the person doing it themselves God doesn't condemn people who deal with that to hell God is not outraged that people see the problem of hell the problem of evil God is like I totally understand the human need and human desire to be morally excellent persons and the curiosity regarding the help the helpful and healthful curiosity regarding okay how do we dish out the the reasonable consequences and the duration of them um when I say the problem hell problem of evil, I'm talking about people's concerns about what what about the question of what is earthly justice? What is afterlife justice? And do you see all your loved ones suffering but you're in heaven and you're clearly not suffering? These are concerns of people's hearts, and God is not intimidated by any of them. Um, I'm just using, again, I'm using my loving God concept imagination. So when I look at what has happened in life, I think about the fact that Many people would ask me, but the, w- the way you talk and you intend to live your life is not traditional, biblical. My response is, I'm not wired to be the status quo that society and even houses of worship say I ought to be. I would say that I was wired to get people to be fully human and not partly human. Because traditional biblicism does not allow people to be all of who they're created to be. It's legal it's legalistic humanity which is totally inhumane in and of itself. That's what I would tell them. And because I'm out in the open about my flesh and my spirit, why would I hide or try to hide those things from the one y'all call the supreme being? You said, you know, because I'm not comfortable with myself and even the entities y'all say are invisible. 
I have nothing to hide from those invisible entities either. If, I mean, but, you know, if they're real, you know, if they're, you know, if you get, show that they're real, then why would they be hateful of how I am and how I live my life? And I say if because, again, the adult me child me when I was telling you about the dichotomy regarding um, the otherworldly. Now it makes full sense of why I said it. So I do go through these things and... God doesn't have a problem with people who don't get college degrees. Um, God doesn't have a problem with history, with mathematics, with inventions. With health, God has no problem with those things. God doesn't have a problem with the arts either. Like I said, God doesn't have a problem with the sciences and the scholars. God doesn't have a problem with therapy. God doesn't have a problem with counseling. God doesn't have a problem with psychiatry. God doesn't have a problem with any kind of coaching. God doesn't have a problem with ologies and isms. God doesn't have a problem with philosophy. God doesn't have a problem with institutions of higher learning. God doesn't have a problem with people with disabilities. God doesn't have a problem with people who are placed on the autism spectrum. God doesn't have a problem with non-theists who are skeptical of reuniting with their loved ones when it comes to death. Because God is so understanding that there are things about life that we would like to see with our physical eye, but have not been able to see with our physical eye. Um, And humans, most humans hate being lied to. Most humans hate the concept of someone swindling them. We don't want to be had. We don't want to be took. We don't want to be bamboozled. We don't want to be led astray. We don't want to be run amok. We don't want to be the victims of turncoats. We don't want the Judas treatment. We don't want to be exploited. 
and we don't want to be shred to pieces. Some people, I'm imagining a loving God understanding this, that some people would have a problem with the patriarchal depiction of God and that loving God would not be offended by it at all because that loving God would understand that gender and sexual diversity has been proven to be harmless. God doesn't have a problem with sex-positive feminism. God doesn't have a problem with the sex-positive movement. God doesn't have a problem with the body-positive movement. God doesn't have a problem with the kink-positive movement. God is not into prude-shaming. God is not into sex-shaming. God is not into slut-shaming. All of these things that God does not have a problem with and God is not into, all the human beings and the Bible writers themselves, they have a problem with all these things. God is like, stop putting your us versus them upon me. I am nowhere to be found on that. Do not sling mud on me. Do not dirty me up. Y'all humans are the ones who are cult-like when it comes to me. And there's nothing about me that screams cult. Y'all the only ones making me out to be this cult leader. And nah. I don't even want cult followers. That's what a loving God would actually say. A loving God's like, I just want y'all to be servant leaders and servant followers of servant leadership. That's what I want y'all to do. I want y'all to abide by the principles of servant leadership. If you're going to be entrepreneurs, I don't have a problem with y'all being entrepreneurs. I want you to be social entrepreneurs because that's using entrepreneurship business, if you will, to resolve the ills of the global world. If you're going to use business, make sure the quality of people's lives are enhanced. It's not about everybody living large, according to what society says. It's about people not being homeless, having their own places, whether that's an apartment, a condominium, a house, a board, uh, a boarding house with boarding rooms. As long as people are not experiencing pestilence on the streets, I don't want people robbed on the streets. I don't want people assaulted on the streets. I don't want people robbed or assaulted anywhere. I don't want pestilence happening to people anywhere. That's what a loving God would actually say. Loving God is like, as long as people's needs and desires make sense they should all be honored ethically speaking god is like i just want all your human needs human desires 
of human rights justice to be adequately met and appropriately met. That's, I'm just using my loving God imagination. And a loving God is not into the obsession with material prosperity. That's what the Bible writers and believers will have you think. Well, a lot of the believers will have you think. But the God is like, you do recognize that um, simple living is something that makes more sense to me and minimalism makes more sense to me. God is not saying you can't be wealthy. God is not saying you, nobody can have the finer things in life. What God is saying is, but why all the vanity? Why all the greed? Why do you feel the, the worthlessness of if I don't have the finer things in life in quotations, then I am nobody? A loving God would tell you the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that is how I want y'all to function. Look at the finer things in life through those lens and stop limiting the finer things in life based upon superficial tangibility. Just use, I'm just continuing to use my logical imagination regarding deities and Christ figures. And let's go to the Christ figure part. That's the biggest part. Let's say there is a loving Christ figure. A Christ figure wouldn't go, look, I understand that people are concerned with the virgin birth story because Mary would be considered a teenager and Joseph, Mary, engaged is was that che- was God cheating with Mary? And what about the virginity story? Isn't virginity an abusive social construct that's tended to demean females? And isn't virginity um, subjective? What does it mean to even lose your virginity? Is that even the proper language to describe it? And is isn't that horrorphobic? Doesn't that promote horror? Archie, doesn't that promote rape culture, um, stimulation? Doesn't that satisfy abuse apologists and rape apologists? God is not offended by any of those concerns. The only ones that are would be the Bible writers and the humans who abide by the Bible writers and not the actual God. Let's say there is a God, though. Sad to say, a lot of people don't want to admit, a lot of people in houses of worship abide by the religious text writers, but not the deities or Christ figures of these religious, that the religious text writers talk about. It's like, they go by what the writer said about these otherworldly entities but not the otherworldly entities in and of themselves, though. So the disciples and followers of the Bible writers are a lot of people in the house of worship. They're not the disciples and followers 
of these gods and of these messianic beings that are said to be real, according to the Bible writers and other religious text writers, like the Quran and the Torah, what have you. So I've made my peace with um, religion. I'm very proud of myself for doing so. And um, a little bit about little last mention of the organized crime story. So to clarify, um, a couple of times I did ask the um, a couple of the women crime bosses said to they were said to be who, who made themselves to be my moms. I said if I was disabled. Would I still be your son? Would you still have unconditional love for me? At first they said, it would make me so upset and pissed that came out that would have happened to you. Then they changed their tune and said, why am I saying such bullshit? I should love my child no matter what and raise hell on anybody that tries to shit on my child. That... And that's as far as it went. I never directly told anybody organized crime that I was of special needs. Um, disability hate crimes were very rampant before in organized crime before I came along. And all of that dramatically decreased once I got into organized crime against my will. Because I even had the power to order hate crimes to be stopped. That was another authority that I was given by the organized crime figures. It was understood. Don't commit crimes because you're hating on somebody that's rejected by society. All the organized crime figures understood that. So I I ordered hate crimes to be stopped. I ordered hate crimes to be women and girls to be stopped. And I ordered hate crimes against people with disabilities, people who are black, uh, people with LGBTQI+, people who've been survivors of all types of violence. It could be physical, sexual, so on and so forth. Because organized crime figures did that stuff a lot. And when they first start getting into organized crime, they tended to do these hate crimes a lot. But once the organized crime figures knew my sensitivities, um, those hate crimes went down a lot. It was extremely low to do those things because you didn't want me to find out. So I never directly told anybody in organized crime that I was autistic. I never told them that I was queer never said those things I would make hints and questions but because the way I behaved nobody thought I was actually these things and um, I just remember meeting actual mob bosses and Even when I was in the mafia, a lot of the hate crimes went down because they wanted to keep me. 
and I had to explain to them and other organized crime figures, you can't just go around killing people just because they're different than you. Unless they, uh, unless they truly disrespected your family, like, you're never going to stop trying to steal from my family, you're never going to stop trying to beat my family or kill my family or rape my family. Unless they give you extreme reasons why you had to, which make most people go, I see why they had to do it, I understand. You can't just go around targeting people just for the hell of it. So I had to explain that to them, other criminals, and they make sense. Like, why are you going around trying to end somebody's life or fuck up somebody with your fist or your feet because they don't have the same walk of life that you got? As long as they're not shitting on you and yours, meaning your loved ones, leave them the fuck alone. Don't be an ass crack to them. That's what I was telling them. And it made sense. Like, plus, y'all business will tank if you keep going around targeting innocent people. I'm like, don't y'all want to keep making money and stay afloat? And they were like, yeah, that makes sense. So I had to explain that to the criminals. It made sense. Like, plus... You're making it easy for yourself to go to jail or to get the death penalty when y'all keep hate crime the folk. And I was five telling people that in organized crime, and it made sense. That's why hate crimes dramatically went down. I'm not saying they completely stopped. I understood that those crimes still happen. I was just never notified that those things happened. If people wanted to keep their hate crimes, they didn't tell me about it. So... It dramatically went down, but I don't think it completely ceased because criminals still gonna do what they want. It just didn't happen as often. I think it happened infrequently. Like, there were still killings, robberies, and violence, but you couldn't do it because somebody had this skin color, this sexual orientation. It had to be, you just wanted to do it, but you can't, you, but you couldn't make it like, something they can't help. Some people can't help their sexual orientation or skin color or the fact that they're a woman, you know what I mean? Or the fact that they're of a gender identity or genderlessness that society can't say. I'm like, no. Criminals said, I'm gonna just do it because I just want to rob or kill or steal. But you can't, you, but you couldn't make it any of those reasons because then I was gonna ruin it for them. So, the hate crimes against these people were very high, but they dramatically went down once into the scene. So, I was, I was able to successfully order these hate crimes to be stopped, most of them. I couldn't do all of them because criminals, their version of anything goes is pure evil. Let's just leave it at that. But how did I overcome organized crime? Let's talk about it. I was able to o- overcome organized crime because... I've been studying the one of the biggest ways I did that was studying etymology, dictionaries, the sources, and encyclopedias as a way of words healing me, um, words guiding me well, and I use the power of words um, and understanding terminologies to rewire my brain to its original state plus it's my brain is even better than it was before the organized crime and the criminals intruded themselves in my life and stalked me 
um, I was able to um, learn definitions, denotations, connotations, and meanings, and even parts of speech to help transform my thinking for the better directions, the healthier pathways, so to speak. So words were the best way for me to heal. Like, learning about inflected forms and pronunciations, about arrangement of entries, running derived entries, usage labels, capitalizations, order of senses, numbering and grouping of senses, plural forms, verbs followed by prepositions or objects, illustrative examples, um, old informal old slang, obsolete words and meanings, archaic words, old-fashioned words and meanings, um, old-fashioned words and meanings, rare words and meanings, now rare words of meanings, historical words of meanings, old poetic words of meanings, literary words of meanings, dialects in terms of words and meanings, um, informal words of meanings, slang words of meanings, um, where words and meanings came from in terms of countries, um, again, parts of speech, labels, again, I just love etymology, um, word divisions, like boldface entry words, for example, nouns, plural nouns, singular nouns, feminine nouns, masculine nouns, non-binary nouns, pronouns, verbs, transitive verbs, intransitive verbs, auxiliary verbs, impersonal verbs, adjectives, adverbs, prepositions, conjunctions, interjections, Definite article, indefinite article, possessive, pronominal, adjectives. This is what helped me to heal. This is what helps me heal every day. Learning about entry blocks and synonyms. um, And um, the asterisks and... um, list of examples of definitions and distinct senses too and learning about homographs and superscripts and suggestions for using the source encyclopedia and dictionaries um, stress marks foreign sounds pronunciation styles pronunciation keys and um, abbreviations and symbols used in dictionaries and sources encyclopedias um, And I like, um, and I just love to heal. It's just, that's how I've chosen to heal. And so I'm a stickler for vocabulary and vernacular. That is the best way to help me to heal. Um, so I'm just so grateful 
that language resources and additions and entrees of them, the corresponding uh, entries of them, as well as the concordance, like on the back of books, for example, that helps me heal. I just love dictionary homographs and superscripts in the thesaurus. I think that is fantastic. That is the best way to help me to heal. And it's the writer in me and the author in me. Um, I'm into capital letters, uppercase letters, lowercase letters, and non-capital letters. That's how I tend to roll. I just love enunciation. So, I just want to thank you all for hearing my heart. And now you understand that basically when it comes to religion... I struggle with understanding the literal, the figurative, and the both. And my le- and this is what I want to say in closing. I'm so grateful that I work out, I meditate, I walk, I listen to positive music, I watch positive media. The magazines, the um, the news, the documentaries, the movies, and the conversations, and um, the internet, and the technology, the devices, and the social media. All I watch is positive. It's not happy, happy, joy, joy. It's just truly uplifting. Um, I make sure... That what I read, what I watch, what I hear, what I see are all positively of upliftment to me. So that's, I have um, a healthy physical diet, a healthy internal diet. I have uh, all of my six senses and all of my five senses have experienced positive consumption and positive living out. My heart, my mind, and body or soul um, experience soothing smoothness because of my holistic wholeness, wholesomeness. So I live a life of relentless humility and relentless gratitude. Wisdom, clarity, and discernment is how I live. Because that explains how I give. I have a healthy, I have healthy personal relationships and I have healthy professional relationships with religious people, faith-based people, spirituality people. And um, we do studies of, of 
religious texts together. So it's like we're church to each other. And um, um, I am for the human rights of religious people, faith-based people, and spirituality people. I also am for the human rights of secular people and even people of all the other religions. Um, But again, with unbelievers and non-believers, we have healthy relationships that are personal and professional too. And so we just have fun um, being non-religious together, so to speak. So... That is the life of Antonio. One more thing about the psych war before I conclude this episode for real, for real this time. I remember the one woman I told you about that was trying to sleep with me in the psych war. I remember at first expressing my sense of discomfort of her trying to offer me sex and psych ward. And her exact words to me were, I I, I never hurt you. I always love you. And it was, it's quite manipulative psychologically and emotionally. And I'm thankful I didn't take the bait because she was always sitting, trying to sit next to me, sit next to me, and out blurting out loud her fondness for me, and they had to separate her from me many times. And, you know, the presence, the psych ward staff, it does feel like a presence, but the psych ward staff, and I tell her to stop being, you know, stop being inappropriate. <laughs> uh, not to laugh, I'm not laughing at all, but they had to tell her to stop being inappropriate. But she's always able to be next to me. It was hard for them to keep her away from me, touching me and stuff, and I had to move away from her or eat lunch at a different time or be in a, be, when she was normally not in her room and away from her room with everybody else, I had to find ways to be in my room. For the most part, successful. There are times where... She would just follow me around, stalk me, grabbing at me. And she was able to get me to a room, but tried to kiss me and stuff, and I would push away, get in my room. <sighs> I'm so thankful that I've ma- I maintain the sanity of my frame and the sanity of my essence. And another thing that I want to conclude with you all is when now I talk about myself this is how I choose to 
describe my life with my grandma Clara and this is the best way to describe my life with my grandma Clara my life with my grandma Clara is beautiful lovely attractive appealing pleasing pretty delightful fine nice um good charming good enticing good fascinating good admirable graceful good ideals good refined um good purified um elegant symmetrical um splendid um gorgeous radiant exquisite dazzling resplendent um magnificent superb marvelous wonderful grand awe-inspiring majestic excellent um impressive um statutske 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 s t a t u e s q u e well favored personable personal beauteous blooming rosy um good alluring good well formed um handsome good handsome appropriate handsome um it's good looking because it's more like good um we have personality chemistry and personality com- compatibility with my grandma so we just get along well in an appropriate way we just get along well and um she would say it's divine um and i would say i'm just grateful my grandma used to wear divine correctly and appropriately and my walk with my grandma is never defeated never worsted never thwarted never beaten never bested never never crushed never overpowered um Never um, brutal, never savage, never coarse, never gluttonous, never brutish, never depraved, never abominable, never loathsome, never vile, never low, never degraded. 
these are the beautiful ways to describe my relationship with my grandma Claire for real. And um, I'm so thankful that we also have appropriate bearing, appropriate deportment, and appropriate comportment. Um, I'm thankful for our healthy demeanor, our healthy decorum, and the healthy forms of our healthy decorum. I would say that my memories with my grandma Claire heals all the other traumatic memories. We are bright, shining, or vivid, gleaming, shining, glittering, luminous, lustrous, burnished, polished, sparkling, mirror-like, glowing, flashing, scintillating, shimmering, incandescent, twinkling, illumined, light, golden, silvery, illuminated, shining, irradiated, glistening, radiant, burning, glaring, beaming, glimmering, splendid, resplendent, brilliant, dazzling, a light, a glow, lighted up, full of light, a blaze, flame-like, moonlight, sunlit on fire, phosphorescent, blazing, glossy, colorful, tinted, intense, deep, multicolored, sharp, rich, tinged, hued, touched with color, fresh, clear, ruddy, psycho, 